0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today is number two in my series on Not Many Fathers. Paul had those that followed after him and called them spiritual sons in the Lord, Timothy and Titus. But also in the Old Testament, we have Elijah and Elisha. I'll be talking about them today. Throughout the Word of God, the connection has always been there. God wants you to have a person that you can identify with more than books and tapes and all these other things. God wants you to have a person you can identify with, imitate in your Christian life. Join me today as we go to the Word of God and find out the Old Testament is just as true and just as inspired as the New Testament on finding someone to follow after. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has
1: been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian.
0: Hello, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome back again to Student of the Word, and today we're taking up part two, talking about spiritual fathers from the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul told those saints at Ephesus, he said, you have many instructors, but not that many fathers. And so we begin to talk about levels in your ministry and uh, how that you can, there's certain people you can go to who would become instructors, but then later on those who become fathers to you. Instructors, you can have so many of them. I had so many teachers through elementary, high school, junior high and into college and stuff. And and in the ministry, the same way who taught me and I learned from them and some key things in my life. But man, I can look back on some of those teachers that I mean, they, they really turned my life around in some areas and ministers, especially and those authors that I found. And I mentioned them yesterday. And of course, you can find the archives of all this on YouTube. And then, of course, I'm on other stations, too. But you can go to our website, too, and look up these things. In fact, what I'm offering, the book that I'm offering, is God's Word to Pastors. It's a great book for you. And I do mention pastors on there, but I mean pastoral can cover youth pastors and children's pastors. Uh, You might have a a Sunday school. You might have a home fellowship, a home study group, a cell group, whatever that, uh, that you have and it'll help you. This book will tremendously help you, and it would be available here at halftime. They'll come and tell you how you can have a copy of it for yourself. But I want to talk about instructors again and fathers in the Word of God. Acts chapter 20, Paul had a group of ministers that surrounded him. This is at Ephesus, but he had even a smaller group of people, that travel with him. And this included Luke and included Timothy and Titus and others that followed him and went around with him. And the names are given from time to time. He just had basically a small Bible school around him. And he did what fathers do. He trained up his sons on how to take over his occupation. And throughout the word of God, we find it throughout history, we find it. I mean, again, in our own country, long before there was great schools around and public schools around and things like that, we had uh, fathers that taught as blacksmiths and their son worked right beside him and would take over that business one day, they gained a love for it. And the same thing is true with other occupations, carpenters and things like that. And of course, we have certain businesses that we know are called, you know, Smith and Sons. And the son there is referring to the fact that his son was gonna take over that business someday and the two work side by side. So that when one was gone, the other continues to take it over. How many daughters stood beside their mothers and watched them iron? Then they ironed themselves. Then they watched their moms cook and they cook themselves and bake bread and all these other things, prepare meals, raise children. And that's what they did. They stood beside them. I pointed out to you, than in the world around us you know when a, when a when a kitten is born they don't send it off to kitten school no it follows the mom and dad around the same thing is true with dogs and cows and deer and things like that in nature we see that the baby follows the parents until a certain day goes on its own way And this is how we are in the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to those ministers who came out from that uh, great revival in chapter 19 in the book of Acts. And what we find in this chapter, chapter 20, is while the revival was going on, Paul was raising up pastors and starting home groups. And that's where the churches began. We're not told that in the book of, uh, in the previous chapter 19, but chapter 20, he specifically points it out. And here in verses 18 through 20, he says, and when they, that's the pastors at Ephesus had come to him He said to them, you know how that from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how that I kept back nothing that was profitable, but showed you. Showed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. These were the ministers that Paul was training up. And from those ministers would also come other churches. And even after Paul left, the church at Ephesus was responsible for raising up six other churches in that area, which became the seven churches of Asia mentioned in chapters one through three of the book of Revelation by John. And here we have Paul talking about this. This was a group that traveled with him. And there was a small a group that traveled with him from place to place. In fact, when Paul got the revelation and the vision in the nighttime to go to Macedonia, he took this group of people with him, starting in Philippi. Then he went to other places after that. He went to Berea. He went to other places and and taught the Word of God and, and came to Corinth and then to Ephesus. But as he was going, he left many of those back there because they were qualified to start a church. And by the time he got over to Corinth, he ran out of money and he ran out of men. He was by himself. All the men were left back here, and Paul had to trust God, made tents for a while, and the Holy Spirit spoke to the church at Philippi, and they sent an offering to him. So again, we find this, and this is the group that he had around, and then they joined him again later. Let me give you some other Bibles examples from the Old Testament. We have Elijah and Elisha. I did mention this yesterday, but let's get into some some detail about it. Second Kings chapter two, verses nine through 18 says this, this is when Elijah is about to leave Elisha. He has literally mentored him for 10 years and he didn't take him from the school of the prophets. Oh, the school of the prophets was good, but he trained him up and the two worked side by side for 10 years. And I imagine this, Elisha probably learned a lot of things of what to do and also what not to do. We find Elijah was a man of mood swings and Elisha was not known as that and we, find their ministries were different. Elijah's was mainly to the great multitudes of people. Elisha taught mainly the school of the prophets and helped raise up the next generation. And it says in these verses, again, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, so it was that when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I can do for you before I'm taken away from you. Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be so, but if not, it shall not be so. I want to stop right there for a moment. Elisha was not being possessive. He was not saying, man, I de- I've followed you for 10 years. I deserve something great. I want twice what you've got. No, no. The double portion was the right of the firstborn son. Elijah had no children. Elisha had deserted his father and followed after Elijah. And he's simply saying, I followed you all this time. And by the right of the firstborn son, I want this double portion that's supposed to be given to you. So he asked for something scriptural. It goes on to say in verse 11, that it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried out, notice this, my father, my father, he was not his physical father, but his spiritual father. That's exactly what I'm talking about. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen of it. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And then he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. The first time this mantle was given to him, it was thrown around him when he was plowing with, uh, with 12 yoke of oxen. And then it was taken off of him, placed back on Elijah, and he followed Elijah. You for 10 years stood beside him, probably, you know, set up his book table. He booked his hotel rooms. I I don't know what all he did for him, but man, it was, it was not difficult. It was not extremely uh, wonderful work. It was just grunt work. Elijah probably got to go out with ministers at times. Elisha didn't get to go with them, but Elijah, Elijah taught Elisha and Elisha learned so that now Elijah has gone to heaven. And as he went up, the mantle fell off. The first time that Elisha received the mantle, he was called into the ministry. But the second time it came upon him, he was is now separated into the ministry. I have a book called Calling and Separation, which deals with this whole thing here. But we're coming back to the fact, again, of the father and the son image that we have here spiritually. And just as Paul talked about Timothy as his son, Titus as his son, they were sons in the faith, and probably even closer than any natural son that was there. Verse 14, again, says, he took the mantle that Elijah had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that way, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they were off watching from a distance. They said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Notice this, he didn't go through their schools. Nothing wrong with schools. Schools are great, but a school is not a church. A school is not a place where you find a father necessarily. You find instructors. Finding someone who's in the ministry that you can identify with and following with them is so important. Following after a pastor. Leaning. On a pastor, finding those, again, your life that strongly influence you. You learn things what to do and what not to do, but that is the person you would like to imitate for the rest of your life. And they came to him and bowed to the ground before him. Verse 16, they said to him, Look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up, oh, I love this, and dropped him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, oh, don't send anyone. No, this is so typical of Bible school students. I mean, young and dumb sometimes. And they, let's go look for him because you know we just don't know what could happen. Maybe God dropped him somewhere. No, he didn't drop him anywhere. And says they urged him until he was embarrassed. No, they kept pushing, pushing until finally said, okay, okay, just leave me alone. Go look for him. And so he said, send them. So they sent 50 men and they searched for three days and did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? So Elisha became a son of Elijah over a period of 10 years. The double portion was the right of the firstborn son. The sons of the prophet saw Elijah as an instructor, but Elisha saw Elijah as a father in the faith. Elisha didn't come from the school of the prophets. The students were immature. Elisha was now a spiritual father to them. Students live in a protective bubble that other, and, and others are called around them in the ministry. And students often disconnect from common people because they don't get involved in the church and they just stay in the Bible school. You have to come where you meet people. And so Elisha became a leader of the school later on and experience needed to lead, to lead students. Maturity over theory and you get your theories in the school. If your theories don't work with people, throw them away or shelve them until the time you'll find out how to work it with people. God chooses sons for the ministry, not just students. Moses became a father to Joshua. Aaron and her failed the test as students only at the mountain base with the children of Israel. Joshua proved himself on the mountains waiting for Moses. And on top of that, I just wanted you to notice something here because of this, P.S., horses do fly. God's horses fly. Why do I mention that? Because in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 14, the church is gonna come back on horses that fly from heaven. So people have often said, you know, well, does God take horses here and take them to heaven and, you know, tournament? No, no, no. He made these horses. They were created in heaven. And this is one that literally came down to this earth and brought and got hold of Elijah and took him back up into heaven in a chariot pulled by horses that fly. So again, That's the the power of this verse of scripture. When we come back after the break, I'm going to talk about Paul and his team, because there's scriptures again written to us that Paul mentioned to his team and the importance of teamwork, but also the importance that as a team member, you learn from your leader. As a child, you learn from your dad, you learn from your mom. That's what they're there for. You learn things to do and things not to do, but they were so important in your life. I look at my dad as a minister, and I followed after him and learned so many things from him, and then others who became parents to me and fathers to me in the faith, and that's what I looked at is my life. And this is really what I'm desiring to do in the ministries, help to raise up a group of people, especially ministers and pastors and those who take the word of God, spiritual teachers, and take them and let them go to the world. They can look back to me as a father, but you know what? I'm training them to be fathers so they too can train others under them. I want you to get a copy of this book that I have on God's word to pastors. In fact, the announcer will tell you how you can have a copy of it for yourself and study after it. And, and from it, get the practical side as well as the spiritual side of ministry. It will be a great blessing to you. I will see you immediately after the break.
1: This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Endian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the First Pastors Conference in Acts 20, Passion versus Calling, Daily Schedules, Living a Balanced Life, Wolves After Your Sheep, The Glorious Church, Pastors Need Pastors, Whose Flock Do You Pastor, Spiritual Workaholics, Family Before Ministry, The Pastor's Heart, and The Bond of Peace. Bob will help you apply timeless Biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational Biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines are demystified, redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on partnership.
0: I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter four with me. This is really where we began this particular uh, two day broadcast talking about uh, fathers in the faith and uh, the importance of having someone to follow after. And uh, also Paul brought this out in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12, where he's talking there about uh, about heroes of the faith and following after certain people and that God wants us to have the same thing and how important this is. And so I know as I look back on my own life, certain people are so important to me that I look back on them. And honestly, I guess some of the things I look back, I wish I'd had more respect for them. At the time, a lot of times I follow up to people, all I could think about was I don't agree with him on this. And I don't agree with him on that. And again, with so much we agreed on, I was just harping on what I didn't agree on. And I would often ask questions. And sometimes I remember uh, Kenneth Hagin said one time, he says, don't worry about all that kind of stuff. He says, you're always gonna find people you disagree with and people are gonna disagree with you. He said, what do you look for that you can learn from them and apply with them? do they really love Jesus? Is that what their heart is after? And quit taking these points down here and majoring on what you don't agree on. Why don't you major on what you do agree on? And that became a real model in my life because there's been times I've made mistakes, spoken up against somebody and wish the later I hadn't because they really do love Jesus. They got off track somewhere and I I, I warned people about them. No, I didn't need to do that. And if there are people out there who have a really bad attitude and don't love God and stuff, I might warn people about it. But you know what? God still doesn't need my help. They're going to go under the themselves. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, here's what Paul said. He says here, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have that many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach you everywhere in every church. This verse is saying, I begat you. The Corinthians, he came there and there was a heathen city Paul came and the number of salvations was incredible. Now, the immaturity of the people was great. And uh, the constant, in fact, this is one of the greatest epistles that Paul wrote, teaching us about the difference between uh, fellowship and relationship with God and the true definition of carnality found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he talked about you're either spiritual or carnal, under the control of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, or under the control of your flesh. And when you're under the control of the flesh, you're carnal and you need to confess your sin, come back into being spiritual. If you're spiritual, the Holy Spirit has control over you. If you're carnal, the Holy Spirit still lives in you. He called them babies in Christ. They weren't growing up. They were spiritual babies, but they were still in Christ, and carnal Christians are still in Christ. It's just that if they're not spiritual, the Holy Spirit in them is just standing there with his hands folded. He has no control over your life. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want to live in you. He wants to control you, and if he controls you, then you are a spiritual Christian. If you're carnal, he still lives in you, but his hands are folded. I prefer to have the Holy Spirit control me, and the flesh has his arms crossed, and, and and not controlling me and so i want to be under the control of the holy spirit not my flesh i want the flesh to be there and end up being my servant my body being my servant and that's romans chapter 12 where now i begin to serve the lord and my members become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanna follow up the Holy Spirit. That's again, what the Corinthians were lacking. And so in chapter three and in other chapters, he taught them about carnality. But what he's saying was here, I'm looking for among you, those that can become spiritual fathers. And this of course becomes a fact, he points to those who were, he he was spiritual fathers too. He mentioned Timothy here and here, and he called him his beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Timothy left his mother and his grandmother who raised him because his father had already left him early in life, and he now followed after Paul, and Paul made a team that surrounded him. I worked for Kenneth Hagin. I was there when he even got the, the, the first leadership of the Lord to start Rhema Bible Training Center, and although it turned into a gigantic school and, and tremendous numbers of people coming affected by it, that was not his vision in the first place. He said, I desire, like Paul, to have a group of people. He says, I kind of see the church as the school as like 50 students. Well, of course, it surpassed passed that a long time ago. Just the popularity of the school brought students in. But again, he said, I, I kind of see maybe 15. He said, I can take groups of them out at a time with me. As I travel, they can go there. They can be with me. I, they can watch me in the meetings. I can talk to them. I can share with them. I can have them lay hands on the sick. I can have them lead people to the Lord. I can have them lead people in the salvation prayer. He went through all these things that these men could do. And then he says, they can also help instruct some of the pastors there. He said, I want to train them up beside me so that when they, they can go out and be in the ministry because they had somebody to follow after. I believe what Paul is saying here. Theology is fine. Books are fine. Uh, schools are fine. All this, but actually connecting with a person. This is what the ministry is about. And to work with these people. Again, what David said in the Psalms was, he said, I once was young, now am I old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken. He didn't quote scripture to us. He got to be old and he told us what he had seen in his lifetime. I think what's great about older ministers is the fact they don't just open up a scripture and show you the scripture. They tell you stories. And the say, listen, back in 19-whatever, you know, 1980, this happened to me, and then this happened to me, and let me tell you what happened, and eventually, it all worked out. You know, in my own case, our church went through a lawsuit that lasted for three years. And man, I can tell you some of the hardest times I went through was during that time. But some of the blessed times that came out of that is the Lord showed me, taught me, instructed me. And so I've grown since then. I've helped raise up other ministers and I share those things with them. And I can tell you the scriptures I stood on. But even more than that, I want to tell you what happened when I trusted those scriptures. I came out on the other side. I once was young, now I'm old but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And it falls back on testimonies of things we've actually seen in our life and seen God and envision what God has done. And when we saw scripture to stand on it and watch how that thing worked out in our life. And he said, this is true of a young man that follows me named Timothy. And Paul had others that followed him too. And Timothy and Titus, they were the two that he really called spiritual sons. And he raised them up. And you couldn't find two different personalities between Timothy and Titus. They were radically different. Timothy was kind of bashful. Timothy was kind of shy. Timothy was a little afraid to step out. Titus was quite the opposite. He was a troubleshooter. And so uh, again, when you read the book of, of Timothy, then you read the book of Titus, and you see the difference between the two, but yet Paul said of both of them, they're my spiritual sons. How often in this natural life do you look at your children and say, you know, are you sure we're the mom and dad of this one over here? Because they're so radically different from us. And these two children could not be more radically different than they are, but yet they're your children. And this is the way it is. As I've watched back through the years, you know, whenever I stepped down from the church, I had the church, uh, leadership start going back and finding out how many ministers we sent out because there was there was some we ordained and we really never take kept track of them that much they never contact us back much and so let's see if we can find out where they are the odd thing too and the bad thing which was happened too was oftentimes we didn't keep track of the paperwork on them and I actually ordained some and we couldn't even find the ordination papers for them and that was said I wish I had we'd kept better records of that but you know what when we started thinking we got together and people started naming people who are in our church work with children Work with youth, uh, were were administrators of a certain area of the church, or associate pastors who went out and began their own churches and began their own missions organizations and began their own Bible schools, and we could go down the list of these things one after another. Is that by the time we got through, we'd named over a hundred. In the 33 years I had pastored, and we knew then it still wasn't enough. There was more than this. And it just, but to look at that. And then, like I said, I've told you this before, I get invited to those churches now and I'll go in and they, I may, I remember the name, but I don't remember them. At the moment I see them, I go, oh yeah, I remember you. And they'll introduce, say, you even married me and my wife. And then I, we stayed in the church and then you ordained us and sent us out. And then later on, I get invited to churches. And this has been happening lately. I'll go, who are you? And they'll name me their name. I said, how did you know about me? They'll say, because I took over this church from the pastor who was here. He died, went on to be with the Lord or else he resigned and he's out there retired somewhere, but he attended your church and the, and the shelves are filled with your books and and your recordings and stuff. And I listened to them through the years and I understood then why why he referred to you so, so admirably in the things of God. And I learned something and I call those grand churches because my son in the faith went and started this church and their son in the faith took over, which becomes a spiritual grandson and it just keeps expanding and expanding. And I think when I get to heaven, I'm gonna meet so many hundreds of thousands of people that were affected, not just because of me, but the sons that came out from under me, the sons that came out from under them, and people that were saved, who led other people to the Lord, who started churches. And this thing just keeps on going and going. In fact, I personally believe in heaven you'll be receiving rewards from now for a long, long time. It's not one time at the judgment seat of Christ when you get all your rewards at that time, there'll be other rewards handed on because the fruits of what you did in this earth keep on going and going and going, and others get born again, others get spirit-filled, others become ministers of the gospel, others become pastors of churches, and you start receiving rewards from it. It just keeps going on and going on. Paul and his team included Timothy, Titus, Luke, and many others, but the two that strongly stand out as becoming sons of Paul are Timothy and Titus. These men helped to shape the New Testament church and the revivals of the book of Acts. These young men were more family than natural family. Take a look at Mark chapter three, if you would. we hear here. Jesus is speaking out. And in Mark chapter three, verse 32 through 35, it says this, and the multitude sat about him and they said to him, behold, your mother and brothers, look for you and he answered saying who is my mother and who is my brothers and he looked at those who sat around and he said behold my mother and my brothers for whoever will do the will of god the same as my brother and my sister and my mother he pointed out that those in the family of god are even closer than natural mothers and fathers i can say this I have a sister, we were great friends growing up and in high school, we were great friends, but you know what? She got married, I got married. And now we don't have that much contact with each other, but I have spiritual people in the church and we've been friends for years. We still go out and do things together. We go out and, and, and watch a movie, we go to a, a restaurant, we eat together, things like that, that I have closer fellowship with, but I also have closest fellowship with those who came out from under me. They consider me a spiritual father. I can consider them a spiritual son and daughter who've gone out to do the work of the ministry. And again, I come back to it, I've been speaking to Bible school students up until now, and I come back to it again. Thank God for Bible schools, but that diploma will not open up doors for you. Don't depend on your school diploma to open doors for you. In fact, I've often heard students say, well, that school didn't help me get into the ministry. Well, no, they taught you. It's up to you to get into the ministry. Instead of looking for a church that will call you, go to church, get involved in the church, learn things at the church you didn't learn at school, how to handle people. Bible schools are full of instructors, but not that many fathers. Find a church, find a pastor of God's choice and begin to imitate him and follow after him. Don't look for a church that agrees with all your doctrines. You'll find out if you find one, they're still going to disagree with certain things that you have. Go to a church that in in your heart you recognize and you feel attached to that church and follow after a pastor. And when you follow after that pastor, realize something. I'm going to do a lot of things he does. There's certain things he does I won't do. But you found somebody you want to imitate. Just like you want to imitate God the Father. Like growing up, you want to imitate your natural father. You want to imitate this one. He's become a spiritual father to you. And many of you may not go directly into a full-time ministry. You may go and get involved in a church, but you'll say like many of the graduates who went to Bible school and attended our church, I learned more at the church than I did at Bible school. It's following after a person that is so critical. Thanks for watching today. I'll see you next time.